production of the Tor Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 265, Team Facts and the Logic Boss. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Common Rider Saber, episode 29. At that moment, the swordsman made his move. And episode 30, even when bonds are torn apart. Our writer for 29 is Hasegawa Keiichi, and for 30 is Fukuda Takuro. Our director for 29 is Sakamoto Koichi, and for 30 is Ishida Hirenori. Uh, before we get started, I just want to give a, a shout out to fellow writer podcast, Bugs to Men, as well as co-guest Kaiju Carl. Uh, they had me on earlier today to talk about Zero One and all of my big Naki emotions. They were cool dudes. Bugs to Men is just getting started. I think this was episode four that we did today, uh, so I hope y'all check them out. I put links uh, for the Bugs to Men YouTube and Kaiju Carl's Twitch link in the notes. Uh, check them out. Cool dudes. I, I look forward to listening. Really liked being on with them. I, I definitely look forward to listening, because I want to hear even more of your big Naki emotions. Because, Sono, I know how much you love Naki. It's all the big Naki emotions you, you've you already heard, but they, uh, originally, the, it was just a general Zero-One episode, but originally uh, it had planned to be about Metsubo Jinrai, and they contacted me because of all of my big Naki emotions. I mean, look, you got... Uh, but it was, it was a great time. They're good folks uh, just talking about stuff. Glad to hear it. Sounds fun. Again, looking forward to listening. Uh, at at time of recording, yeah, there was only a couple episodes on their on their YouTube. I I haven't listened yet, but I look forward to it. And from the sound, they're great people. So yeah, the Toe Network seal of approval. Yeah, for all that happens to be worth. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. Hey, you know, again, we show up and do this as an act of love, love for yeah. these things we watch. Mm -hmm. Even, well, rather, love for the things we talk about, except when it's not love and it's pure obligation and it's too far in <laughs> to, to, to just start talking about something else, Ozio. Ozio. Because if it, if, it if it had just face-planted a little earlier, <laughs> that would have just been our Kuga watch-through. Or maybe yep. Common Rider Black or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it was halfway through, maybe we could have done Decayed. Because oh, Decayed yeah. is short, and we were talking about Decayed enough anyway. Well, I mean, it would have been... Uh, at least it would have been actually a Decayed show. Instead of Z.O., yeah. which just ended up a Decayed show. Man, I yeah. just... I, Whatever. I, I keep just marveling at how how much of a bummer it was that that show just turned into decade fanfic when honestly just doing decade but just hey we're gonna do it again but with all of the haste with the the phase two series and just do decade again but I yeah know. i mean look if they were gonna get masahiro inoue back for the whole show just do decade two yeah it was decade two anyway yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, you just have Common Rider Decade, the next decade. There. And that's that would be the show. He can, you can still bring in Sogo. Have, honestly, honestly, having, having him instead of the baby Kuga. Because uh, the guy who played uh, the, the baby Kuga in, that's just what we call him over here. I, I know he actually has a name. Uh, Onodera. Yeah, thank Onodera. you. Onodera. Onodera Yusuke, thank you. Um, but, like, we just call him Baby Kuga over here. Uh, but apparently the guy who plays him has decided he's done with acting. Fair enough. 
So, you know, you just you just have Decade, you, ha- you bring Natsumi back, you bring in Grandpa again, and like, hey, filling in for Kuga is the new kid, who might also be the end boss. Because then you can actually... I don't actually... know, just call him Kuga 3. Yeah, yeah, make a third Kuga. You replaced Kuga once, do it again! Well, I mean, and the whole thing with Decade is, you're just, you don't actually go through the whole show, you, you just have a version of the show again, but with uh, Sukasa as whoever the biggest jerk in the show was, and then you bend the whole thing around the biggest jerk, which was why uh, Ryuki was a lawyer, was a legal drama. Kind of. You know, with common Riders. Because who's the biggest toolbox in Ryuki? The freaking lawyer. <laughs> but anyway, it's just... We could we could go on forever just trying to fix Z. We're very impatient. We are. I, I'm I'm impatient when it comes to Zio. And it's just it it's such a per, an emblematic example of so many things. But you know, hey, since we're talking about Zio, let's just move into the stuff in these episodes of Saber that we did not care for. So I'm I'm about to talk about some stuff that isn't inherently bad and that I'm glad happened. But it doesn't- it didn't feel right to put it in good stuff because the way it was done felt very sloppy. But also, like, kind of goofy, because there is something inherently goofy about Reika just hiding Sophia in the walls, and Rintaro, like, holding up his phone to the wall to listen to them talk. Yeah, it's- I mean, one, it is really funny. (laughs) Just- especially since he could just put his ear to the wall. Like, if you can hear the muffled voices, you can just put your ear to the wall, it'll be fine. But it it still makes enough sense that I can't call it outright nonsense, but it's still just beggar belief because, okay, if you can hear it through the wall, and to the point that some passerby could hear Sophia, like, talking through the wall, that means you could probably hear her you know, call out, hey, help me, I'm trapped in the wall. Which, like, there are all of these presumably righteous adjacent swords people at the base, so you'd think someone else might have heard Sophia call out and, you know, tried to help. Cracked open the wall. Maybe even called the the weird traitors at the northern base, because, hey, there's someone trapped in the wall, and apparently Master Logos is the one who put her there. Like, honestly... I feel like that would have been maybe not better than Rintaro. It would have actually added a lot of steps, but it it would have been a cool way to introduce a new character in the short term. Like, I don't know, some, some neophyte in the Order. You know, a neophyte in the Order who'd basically be analogous to young Rintaro, and then he gets got by Reika or her brother, and that drives home how vicious Sword Pope's agenda is. And also shows that, hey, the you know, even good people in this organization are getting killed or corrupted, and that's just driving those things home. But anyway, it is just silly that it's just like, hey, I can hear them through the wall. It's just literally on the other side of this wall. How did no one know? And like, this? he doesn't—he doesn't even go in there. Yeah. He doesn't do anything about it. <laughs> he's just—he's listening. Hmm. I just. It's so weird. And, like, I'm glad that we're finding, finally getting back to, like, hey, Sophia got kidnapped, 
15 episodes ago. God, it was Which 15. was literally half the show ago, and no one has seemed all that concerned until maybe just now. Mm-hmm. Even though Rintaro didn't know what was in there until he started listening in. I don't know. It was just nice seeing Rintaro realize all of this and suddenly look ready to burn the whole place down to save a lady that I assume he sees as a mother figure. Uh, yeah, it does seem... yeah. Also, like, excuse me, the book with the secret to what? I mean, like, I guess if this is the book of all knowledge, then creating humans would have to be in there somewhere, but that's a bit of an abrupt lore drop that that's a thing that we want suddenly. Right? And, like, you know, like you say, an omnipotent tome... Yeah, it has all the powers, so of course it has that power. But still, that's that's a weird thing to drop in there, huh? Yeah, I mean, if that's what we've been after, like, should have mentioned. I guess, I guess in a way, like, Storius has been like, yeah, we want to remake the world, mm. which I guess you need to make new humans for that. But it's just it's such a but specific I... thing. After all of this, very like. I want to remake the world. That's a very abstract thing. I want to recreate all the people. That's a much more specific one. Yeah. Um, okay, so last episode, either of Uncommon or of Saber, because I can't remember if it was in 27 or 28, but I think it was in 28. I think it was. They yeah. brought up the Divine Sages who, like, oversee Logos? that maybe have more authority than he does? I am still really not sure. Um, which was frustrating. Because we were adding another level that didn't need to be added. But what is even more frustrating is this episode dropping the fact that Logos has killed them off. So they have added a, a level that they didn't need to add and then immediately took it away. Like, why even bring it up? Why add another facet to this way too complex world already if it's not even going to be a hurdle to overcome. Because we don't know how strong these dudes are. They're being described by Logos as, like, old and and stubborn. So I'm assuming they don't have a lot of physical power, so it doesn't even make him seem more threatening to have killed them. Like, I don't know. I can see them maybe wanting to establish this as a thing that the current hero swordsman will become at the end of the show and become new sages and, like, remake the organization. But instead of making them replacements for the sages, just make a group of sages up at the end as a thing. Yeah. Just be like, hey, one person in charge of all of this was a terrible idea because one person can turn corrupt really easily. But now we've got six people to balance each other, and that's a lot more unlikely that all of them are going to go corrupt at once. Yeah. Like, just stick that on at the end. I would. That would be fine. Totally believable. Like, please, Saber, I am begging you, stop overcomplicating your story. Yeah, and look, even if six people can go corrupt, it's going to take a minute. And that's... Yeah, it's... it's That's important. It's not likely that all of them are going to wake up one day and be like, what if we take over the world? Yeah. And, like, the best case scenario here is that they were going to do a thing with the original sages, and and then, like, while they were making the next episode, it was pointed out, hey, um, this is episode 29. We're in the 30s now. There is zero time. So they just 
fixed it with that line, but also you could have just edited the first episode to take the mention out entirely, and that would have worked better. So I don't, I don't know what's going on here. It's it's wild though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very confusing. Okay, so we end episode 29 on Toma practically dying. He is on the floor in Logos, Yuri is doing, like, emergency triage healing, and then we start episode 30 with him just totally fine, standing there like nothing ever happened, and that's a little weird, right? Mm. That's not just me? No, that's not just you. Okay, because I know Yuri's got, like, the magic hands and stuff, but, like, at least be having this discussion and have Toma, like, sitting down and Yuri still healing him. Maybe he's not, like, dying, but he's still, like, in need of care. Yeah. Because, like, look, I, I respect that because of, of that aforementioned overcomplication habit, maybe that's them trying to cut down narrative fat in some other places. But at the same time, that's not narrative fat. That's straight-up continuity. Like, the hero who spends... Especially with this guy, because... Toma is the hero who spends most of his face time basically just shaking and struggling to stand up because of how unready his frail nerd body is to do all of this sword stuff. And, like, how to drive that home? A great way to drive that home is to just have him, you know, face down on a table with his shirt off while Yuri does some, you know, a, a level three cure wounds at him. Come on. It just... Yeah, it's... <sighs> It's such it's just, a weird we, we ended, thing. We ended 29 with Toma having been literally run through with a trident. Yeah. And the tension we left the episode on is, is he gonna be okay? And having Toma just standing there like it didn't happen doesn't resolve that tension. It negates it. It's like it never happened. So what was the point of that tension at all? Yeah. Like... Toma, Rintaro, and Yuri could have escaped without Toma getting stabbed and had the group panicking over Southern Base coming to attack and then revealed Sophia in the exact same way. And it would have taken away nothing from the end of 29 and made the start of 30 not feel deeply confusing regarding why Toma isn't at least sitting down and trying to catch his breath. We even cut back to that scene when they're talking about Durandal's power set in that conversation at the beginning of the episode. It's really weird that it's basically played like it was weeks ago, but it was the end of the last episode. It was maybe like an hour or two at most. Yeah, and Toma that. and Rintaro were both pretty beaten up, and they both seem physically fine. Yeah. And and the previous episode just... Yeah, the, the stakes are too big at this point, and the, the threat's too immediate for them to treat it like that. Like, we're supposed to, like, we are entering the end game now. This is the most intense part of any common Rider series. Like, this is not the time to make everyone just be okay. Unless this is, like, Ishida Hidenori just not liking carrying on what Koichi Sakamoto sets up. Because otherwise it's uh, Fukuda Takuro not wanting to finish what Hasegawa set up, and I don't know, that just doesn't seem right. But I could see someone yeah, just wanting to mess with uh, Sakamoto. Maybe that's just because yeah, I want to mess with Sakamoto. It's just very strange. Yeah. It's just so strange. It's such a weird um, bit. 
they also brought up Sophia's key again. But we'll just not talk about what it's for or why we keep bringing it up. Right. They just keep pointing to Chekhov's gun on the stage and shouting, Hey, look, a gun! And then moving on, which is not a good way to handle important plot elements. It is. It really like, is. Like, I love Saber. I, I do really love this show. Because the characters are so interesting and have great chemistry and great dynamics. And the lore is pretty interesting when they give it to us, but the actual narrative structure is toothpicks and gum. And also the gum is, like, it is just one piece of gum, and they've just, like, cut it into small pieces to try and attach the toothpicks together. It's just, oof. And, like, not to keep going at Fukuda, but that is a thing that dude seems primed to keep doing, and it is really frustrating, because... That's what happened with a lot of ghosts, and dude just needs an editor. Stat. Like, they just need to yeah, sit I him- Yeah, I feel like they need to- Oh, go on. No, I, I was just gonna say, like, they need to let him write the whole show first. Yes. Just, just let him write the whole thing, and then work it out. Yeah. Then start filming, because he really- I, I like what he has the potential to do, but man, he just week give him week like a fifty episode fortune. anime. Yes, that's what he needs. Yes, absolutely. I think I think he can really or, or not even fifty because this is this is fifty ish. Give him like three seasons, three or four seasons of an anime. Put him on like a big shonen title. Mm. I mean, he brings some great stuff to the to a shonen title. It's um like a lot of the stuff that uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba has been working on. I, I don't actually know its name in English, but I think it's like Demon Slayer or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, Demon Slayer. Yeah, like Demon Slayer sets up a lot of interesting, uh, thoughtful looks at the shonen genre, but then it just sort of turns into a shonen genre show. So, but like, put, yeah. put Fukuda on there and he will actually make a thoughtful critique of the shonen genre while still being a very good example of a shonen show. Like, there will be the bit where, like, you know, the plucky young kid goes to fight the impossible dude, and he won't beat the impossible dude, but, you know, he'll totally just, like, I won't give up, and, you know, keep, you know, pushing, he'll, he'll keep getting up. But we'd also have, like, bits, you know, whole arcs that are just solved with a hug of redemption. Yo, remember in Ghost how many problems got solved with the hug of redemption? God, like, that was just such a good idea. He's got so many good ideas, and he keeps overcomplicating them. Yeah, yeah, he just, he cannot stick to one of them at a time, which, look, on one hand, I appreciate. I like some ambition, but just someone needs to, to corral him into a narrative structure, because <laughs> dude will just go off. But... Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, that's just, that's a thing we have to live with. In the meanwhile, let's talk about the things we did enjoy with these episodes, because, hey, again, like, Saber's a pretty good show. Yeah. Um, I, I really do, even though it was a little weird that this episode opened with just May and Rintero talking about how he's ready to come back, I do kind of love it. And the fact that May just keeps finding Rintero, like, she just can sense where he is, 
and that she's the first one that he tells that he's coming home. Because, um, I mean, if Rika's gonna keep trying to drag his brain through the mud, May's gonna keep grabbing his hand and pulling him back out. But just, like, the little bit where she promises to get him some eclairs, and he, like, physically reaches out and holds her hands was just really sweet. The two of them have this really sweet dynamic. Um, I do feel a bit bad for May that Ridgerow's like, I'm gonna come back, but first I have to go finish stuff at Logos. And she's like, okay, I will wait for you to come back. And then she goes and tells everyone else, and they're like, oh no, that boy's gonna die, we have to go get him. And she has to deal with the fact, like, wait, should I have stopped him? Yeah, poor girl. She's, you know, she's got a good heart. She, all of her, all of her desires are in the right place, but yeah, she she doesn't quite know the. She doesn't know she's in a shonen show. Is the thing. She should have talked to Sora. Like, bring Sora along for these conversations. Sora will set everything right and also get those two together like that. Yeah. But you know, having to be the sounding board. For, for all that stuff and trying to keep things calm while that boy is in profound need of someone to just slap some sense into him, which, like, look, I know that isn't a thing that actually works, but it'd still be nice if she could, you know? It's just, she's in such a rough place. But also, if anyone's going to bring that boy around, it's going to be her. So. Yeah. Because she's great. Probably my one of my favorite parts of this episode as just a thing that's going to come back down the line is I can't believe Master Logos outright tells Reika and Ryoga that she's that he's gonna betray them. And they, it just goes right over their heads. He says out loud to them the swordsmen are unnecessary. And it's like yo, yo, Reika and Ryoga you're swordsmen. <laughs> like, cannot wait to see this blow up in their faces. Oh yeah, cause I mean, you know, clearly they they either think that they're going to be exempt or that somehow this is going to work out in their favor, which is just silly. Like, I'm certain Dude has not made his entire plan clear to them outside of, like, yeah, I'm going to fix things. Don't worry about it. But it is pretty clear to me, at least, that this dude is absolutely going to kill anyone who could even consider thinking about pondering being a minor stumbling block in his plans. A thing we've liked about this guy is that he is not in the habit of messing around, you know? Yeah. I just, and I just, I really hope they give Reika a proper, like, how dare you betray me? Or, if not how dare you, at least a, but, but I did everything you asked. And of course, the answer will be, well, yes, and now I'm asking you to die. So just... Uh, put down your sword and just put your head on that block, won't you? Great. I just... I don't know. I hope she tries to kill him. Because I feel she does deserve a chance to kill him. It'll probably be... And mostly I say that because I'm aware that they'll probably, once the the plan is revealed, have her like break down and start crying or whatever. But she she deserves to cut this dude. At least once. And I guess her brother can be there, too. Ugh. But I kind of hope he's dead by then, because I do not care about him. <laughs> Same. He just, he... Um, I could I... have just put him in in the things that are bad, because, like, guess what? He's bad. There's nothing about him that is good. Maybe the suit, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, it's... We'll, we'll, we'll get to him. 
so I, I do love Yuri mentioning, like, oh, my, my old friend went to talk to Master Logos, and everyone's like, you have friends? What do you mean you have friends? You're I a mean, thousand years old. That's a reasonable reaction, though. Because, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's kind of a, a difficult dude. It does make me wish that we had time to meet the guy he was when he was a swordsman, and, like, we can find out, I don't know, that he's, like, a really light-hearted jokester, uh, a, a jokey humanitarian or something, and then he got turned into a sword, and then we're like, ah, you gave up all that to be this this really stiff weirdo. Please don't, please understand, I love Yuri, but I just, he is a, he is a really stiff weirdo. <laughs> he is, but that, that's kind of why we love him. Yeah. Though it is very cute that Toma immediately picked up on it being Tassel. Like, he just knows instinctively that Tassel is somehow ancient and unknowable in the same way that Yuri is. Possibly more than Yuri is. Not possibly, definitely more than Yuri is. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, he is an author, and if anyone's going to recognize an immortal metafictional demigod, it's gonna be the author. <laughs> yeah. I say that, though, like, I don't... It actually looks like the stuff he writes isn't isn't that super high concept. I don't know what his view of metafiction is. I feel like at some point he should have mentioned it, but I also don't know what his perspective on postmodern literature is. Anyway, moving on. I do feel really bad for Rintero that he thought that there was just one bad actor in the organization and just couldn't see how deep the rot goes. Yeah, Th and that is some rough scales to have to have fall from your eyes, because he just... I mean, look, who could blame him for wanting it to be just one bad person, right? That's yeah, a much because again, story. this is his home. But, you know, seeing him go to Master Logos and watching his faith in everything crumble as Logos reveals that he's the true traitor, the whole organization is the traitor, and it's heartbreaking. It is. And, you know, when then Rintero, like, pulls out his sword and goes to strike down Master Logos, and, like, of course he would. That's, that's who he is. He's this guy who just wants justice. But it was very clear that it was gonna go poorly. Oh, yeah. And, like, that was heartbreaking, too, because... On top of everything, we know that this is a team series, so you need everyone on hand if you're going to purge the evil. But still, like, it's hard not to love a dude who probably also knows in his heart that it's a hopeless fight, but is not going to let it stand even a moment longer. Even, even if it costs him his own life, he's going to go down swinging at the guy who perverted everything he loves. And that's... I love that. I freaking love Rintero. What a good dude. He's my boy. This is why he's my boy. He's the boy. He's the best boy. Like, I... Uh, so as much as... Oh, no, go on. No, go ahead. I was just saying, um, like, I should think it's Toma or someone else, but no, it's Rintero. Rintero's the no, best it, dude. No, it's Rintero. He's so good. So as much as I agree and find Ryoga to be a boring and useless addition to the cast, I do kind of love Durandal, and when Durandal gets to be there, because uh, I doubt his fights will be given as much CGI budget in the future as they got in his first fight, but the fight between Durandal and Blades was really cool, 
that was a really cool fight. Look, I gotta give that to him, because, yeah, it was. It's visually interesting, and honestly, it made Durandal feel like just a massive threat. And while I, I just wish Durandal had been, like, Rekha's upgrade, because she's cool and she deserves an upgrade. At least, if he's gonna be there stealing her thunder, at least he's got a cool thing. And, like, yeah. you, you gotta give him that. Yeah, like, it was really dynamic and exciting and a lot more fast-paced than I find a lot of rider fights tend to be. And, you know, while I like a lot of the plot and banter of, of riders fighting monsters, the action itself tends to kind of bounce off of me. I kind of don't care. Um, but I came out of this episode thinking, dang, that fight was cool. I was, like, fixated on that fight. Because it just, it was so dynamic. And weird. And the, just the way it was paced and the way it was shot. And I can see why they pulled Sakamoto back in for this. Because it's a fight that really needs a director that's skilled in capturing the action and the pacing. Just because of the way that Durandal fights jumping all over the place. I also really love that we see the time warping effect uh, affecting Toma as he enters Southern Base, as this kind of tip-off that he it's not teleporting like Rintaro thinks it is. It's something a little more complicated than that. Yeah, the, the, the way he's sort of skipping forward in time is just... Okay, here's what I get... Here's where I get super nerdy again uh, and bring up the, the comic book connection again, specifically Yuri as Grant Morrison because I, I desperately want to see this built on. Because, okay, here's the thing. It seems like Durandal is messing with time by editing out middle spaces between one second and another and just moving to a different place somehow. I don't, I don't entirely know. I just know that after he finishes his the, the weird effect, you've got... It's not just that he moves, it's that other people have moved too and it just i don't know so you've got that and then you've got yuri's whole comic book motif going and what is what is the comic book's visual language but using panel structures and gutters and all that to rearrange time and perspective so like let's see him use comic book rules on tv to mess with this guy's different kind of time and perspective rearrangement. Like, put put Durandal onto a comic page prison and dunk on him by reaching across the gutters or flipping pages backwards. Just some weird metafictional space-time stuff. Bring in Tassel to help. It'd be great. Sorry, uh, your boy has a lot of thoughts and feelings about comic books. I know you do too, Sono, because you actually have made one as, as like, a major project. I never have. I've just written them. I'm fascinated. It's it's what I got a degree in. It's it's fascinating. I miss I miss doing comics a lot. Mm. But like just the language, the visual language of comics is incredibly fascinating. Yeah, like hey, if you've never thought about the visual language of comics, go pick up like uh was it um Scott McCloud. He has a bunch of books on it that yes. explain just the the basic visual language of comics outside of 
you know what you get when you look at it. it explains the the philosophy behind it it's fascinating stuff yeah uh, his first one, Understanding Comics, is a great book. It was basically what I read before, like, it was, they, before I started my, my bachelor's degree, which that was my, comics was my major, they were like, read this. Just read it before, before you start class. And it's, it's just an amazing read. I cannot recommend it enough. It's light uh, I want to find my copy and read it again, because it's been so long. Yeah, I mean, it's if you ever want to think about writing comics, like yes, you can break it down just as you imagine it. But if you if you come to the craft of just writing a comic, having read that, you will be able to write better stuff. You just will because anyway. Um, back to the show, but I just I want to see that uh, the comic book at play in the with the TV, because I just think that'd be fun. Also, um, back to the show proper, with Durandal and Reka both using encyclopedias, we have established once more that the Southern base is indeed powered by the dude bro takes on facts and logic, because Reka and her brother are team facts, and Master Logos is logic boss. And they're going to ruin everything because they never invested any time or attention into the humanities. Seriously, like, Master Logos is going to reinvent the world, and all I can think is he's going to do things like reinvent the bus, only it sucks now. Because it, because he's just one of those logic bros, one of those tech bros who's just like, yeah, okay, so uh, how about this service where you just stand out in front of a, a, a marker and a big van comes and picks you and your friends up and takes you someplace? Like, uh, like a bus would do? No, no, no. It's like a... It's... You'd pay it, and it would take you anywhere. Oh, so a taxi. Yeah, it's like Uber, except it's all one big company, and everyone's an employee. Yeah, a taxi. Hey, remember that time Elon Musk was talking about, yeah, I'm gonna reinvent the highway? And it's like, oh, it's just... It's just a subway, but crappier. Anyway, sorry, that's that's going on some other tangents, but um, I, I just love the Master Logos, on top of being one of the great Common Rider supervillains, because I love watching that dude. Like, his motivation, like, he is just a logic bro. He's just, he's just Elon Musk if Elon Musk had power. Or, if not Elon Musk, I don't know, Jeff Bezos, or one of those other jerks. Anyway... Sono, please get to the next thing, otherwise I'm just going to fill time by babbling about how much I hate these really rich people. <laughs> okay, um, that moment where, where, you know, Rinchro's on the ground and he, you know, he's beaten by Durandal and Toma's trying to facilitate their escape, and Rinchro says that Toma should forget him and leave him to die and not sacrifice his sword and books... And Toma asks if he's serious, and Rintero replies with, Of course I'm not! Like, that broke my heart. Honestly, that was such a good... Like, this, this poor kid is just trying to be strong, and trying to be this noble idea that this absolutely rotten group brainwashed him into thinking that he should be. But he's just confused, and he's scared, and he needs his friends. And seeing Toma reach out and correct him with, like, you don't need to fix everything, we are gonna fix everything, and it's just like, this is, this is why Rintero loves you. Yeah. And it's, 
it's so much of why Toma loves Rintaro, because no one is braver or more noble than Rintaro, and you can tell that Toma believes that more than anyone. And he's not gonna let this monster of an organization warp, like, that beautiful ideal in Rintaro's head anymore. Yeah, because... And it's just so good. Because Rintaro, again, is the bravest and most noble guy in the series, and I... I appreciate how much of the show is just Toma and May just really hanging a lampshade on that fact, while so much of Master Logos' plan is just trying to mess with that fact, because it's only by taking that element out of Team Saber that he could get this far. Because, look, if he doesn't have Rintro questioning and holding the heroes together under the Sword of Logos, his plan is moot because the heroes would have got Sophia back immediately, wrecked all the Megid, and kicked that dude into space. It would not have been an issue. But, and, and also I think Kento would have been able to come back because, hey guys, I've seen the future, and we need to make one tweak to make it go right. Which, of course, does highlight how good Logos is at being a schemey villain. Because he knows that Rintro is the linchpin of this stuff. And sending Reika out to do that, like, yeah, good on you, dude. That's that's being a good supervillain. Yeah. And then just, man, when Durandal tries to pull the double cross by, you know, doing the time stop and taking all of Toma's stuff and then trying to kill Rintro anyway. Like, oh. I've never been so on board with Yuri's existence when he jumps in. And, like, I love Yuri. I've always been on board with Yuri's existence, but man. Like, I love that Toma and Yuri already had been planning to double-cross Durandal. And, like, you know, do the Flash, grab Rintaro, grab the belt and the books, and run. But, like, both Toma and Ryoga thought they could pull a fast one, and it cancelled each other out, and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I especially enjoyed that, like, yeah, our heroes plan to double-cross you. Are you kidding? Dude, you're part of the group that's been dragging their boy's heart over miles and miles of broken glass for, for the past, oh, three months or so? So I'm glad they didn't even pretend for a second they thought this dude could be trusted. <laughs> like, like, look, I, I like when the heroes keep their deals, but also I like when the heroes are like, yeah, we only keep our deals with, with people who deal fairly. <laughs> we, we don't have to keep our deals with liars. And that's, you know what? Good on you, Toma. Good on you. And man, I screamed when we see, like, Toma's like, come on, Rintro, let's go, let's go through the book. And we hard cut, hard cut to a close-up of Toma, just, like, stunned with Durandal's attack sound playing, and then pull back out to Toma falling forward. Like, oh my god. That was so good. So good. And, like, of course Durandal did that. It would make no sense for him not to, because he can literally stop time to attack people. Like, I just want the full wrath of the cast to descend upon him for doing it. Oh, absolutely. Just because he has it coming. He has it coming. He only has himself to blame. And just, man, Naito can really pull off that in horrific pain acting. Because <laughs> that did not feel like acted injury. Like, you know, when, like... In, some, in, like, a Marvel movie or even another Kamen Rider series, even in this Kamen Rider series <laughs> from a different actor, the way that they act when they're injured. Like, 
I don't know, something about the way that Naito can stagger his movements and, like, kind of get his body to really jerk around like that, that makes the pain, because, I don't know, for, like, in my head, pain isn't very sluggish movement. That's, that's ache. Yes. Ache is sluggish. Pain is, like, convulsing. Yeah. And that's what he does, and it's amazing. Yeah, I am, he really is just so good. Uh, so, so last time we talked about how weird it is that Elemental Dragon is all of these elements when every other swordman is element-based, and I stand by that, it's still a little weird. It is. But I do think it's cool that the idea of Elemental Dragon is this little dragon finding his friends in the elements, and if Toma's friends use the book, they become a hyper-powered form of their element. Yes. Because now Toma is... Toma is finding his friends in the elements. Yep, that's... It, it's a cool realization of that idea. It really is. And look, this is a Sentai-flavored writer show, so if that's going to be what happens, I want it to be flavored with a Sentai where the Red doesn't get all the cool upgrades for themselves. He's already at a fair few, so he can, he can spread the other ones around. Like, honestly, let me see upgraded Ogami with Elemental Dragon. He'll have, like, extra earth armor and somehow extra dad powers. Like, I don't know what that would look like, but the idea of him further embodying the primal elemental idea of dad would be just awesome <laughs> and appropriate. Like, he could he could draw out the child's, the dragon's child form and, like, introduce it to Sora. They'd be great friends. It'd be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, Sora did want to make friends with the sad dragon in the book. He was like, hey, dragon sad. Friends? Friends with Dragon? Like, yeah, give him that. Honestly, I, I feel like that's a thing they should do at the end of the show. Like, you know, I imagine by then Tassel will be back, so it's like, hey, what's up, little... You know, we can see the little sad dragon boy who's got some friends now, and, like, Sora can be like, hey, what's up, dragon kid? Uh, um, hey, can, can I hang out with this other child? Yeah, of course you can, kid. Go for it. Oh, that'd be sweet. Um... I like, as much as I kind of wish Rintaro had done something when he was listening through the wall, I do like Kento rescuing Sophia and bringing her home. Um, yeah. It's just this nice sign that some part of Kento, who is good and wants to protect the people he loves, and who has grown up with, you know, probably this lady being really nice to him, and especially taking care of him after his dad died, like, that Kento is still in there. And... Like, I, I also love the moment where everyone is panicking about a potential attack while Toma is hurt, and Sophia just, like, walks out onto her little balcony like, Nah, kids, I got this. Like, that was really good. It really was. I just, I do wish that rescuing Sophia had been a little bit of a bigger deal. Or a like, deal her whole all. kidnapping, yeah, any, any kind of a deal. It's just, it feels very anticlimactic with how little anyone seemed... To prioritize it. I mean, it, you know, it is nice to see her back and all, but, and, and for all the, the, not nah, kids, I got this, like, that was a good moment, but it just, it didn't hit like it should have. But of course, making a moment like that land really requires taking time in the run up, and they did not do that. <laughs> so I guess it's yeah. nice that they're just calling it done and just putting her back in the show. Cause, like, you know, it's, it's nice to have three ladies in the show on the reg now, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Heaven forfend. Who knows. Um, 
They're still cowards for giving was... none of them a, well, for only giving one of them on the bad guy side a sword. Yeah. Um, it is very cute, though, how May tries to break the tension in the room at the beginning of 30 by, like, praising Rintaro for, it's like, oh, we, we figured all of this out because Rintaro stayed there and managed to find everything out, and I like that everyone kind of smiles and lets her have that moment. Um, even as poor Rintaro is kind of off to the side, still processing his trauma. Yeah. He deserves both the, the space to process it, though, and to be praised. So, you know, good on you, May. I, I also hope at some yeah. point she gets some praise as well, because, you know, she's great. I do hope so. Um, and I love that the moment that Toma kind of goes in to pat him on the shoulder and be like, Yeah, Rintaro, you did good. Like, Rintaro just immediately pulls back from that. Because he can't let himself be accepted back into the group and welcomed home until he's made his proper apology, not just for leaving, but for doubting Toma. Yeah. And I love that they let May be the one to tell him, like, yo, it's okay, you're home now. Like, of course you had that doubt. You've always believed that Logos was your home and your family. But this is your home and we are your family. So good. And then, you know, you have Ogami come in to, like, give him the shoulder hug, and, and Daishinji comes in like, oh, I've, I've gotten your sword ready for you. Um, but the, the thing that I love so much about that moment, most about that moment, is a thing that we have come back to many times over the course of, of Ryder and Sentai both. The first thing that Rintaro does in as his first act of reestablishing his home and family is to eat. He gets to eat this food that he hasn't been able to get a hold of since his entrance to the show. It's literally the first thing we see him react to in this show is waffling over wanting to eat an eclair because it's interesting and he's heard about it and he wants it. But he turns it down, because as a swordsman, he needs to be vigilant and not distracted by non-swordsman things. And, like, the dang eclair has this whole time been a symbol of Rintaro's freedom, and how Logos has been holding him back from being his best and truest self the whole time. And I cannot believe it. Yeah, and again, like, like you were saying, food is one of the core signifiers of true humanity in in the superhero time shows and it's it's something i've never been able to look away from since it was pointed out to me and but the thing i love most is that it's not just food right it's a pastry a dessert like this thing that is often considered frivolous and and like oh it's just sugar and empty calories it just tastes good but it's you know, moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips, you know, all, all those sorts of things that just attack these unnecessary foodstuffs. And that's how Rintro regains and asserts his humanity. It's, it's so good. You might even call it sweet. And just, like, just to spin out from there, just being allowed to indulge mm. and to deviate from the strict regimen of swordsmen is what lets Rintaro be himself and be a person. And thinking about it, he's really the only one outside of the, the current group that's back that didn't let himself have 
something other than being a swordsman. Because Daishinji has always also had being a swordsmith. He has this passion for it, this family legacy. Ogami has his family, his son, that he won't sacrifice for being a swordsman. Toma has writing. It, he Toma has always existed outside being a swordsman. Even Ren has his idolization of Kento, and Kento has this need to find Toma and Luna and protect them, and those are kind of outside of their duty as swordsmen. Like, those are kind of arguable, I guess, but, like, Rintaro was the only one who really wouldn't let himself reach for anything beyond his duty as a swordsman. Like, he became friends with Toma essentially because Toma was a fellow swordsman, and he has always cared about Mei, but he's- it's- they've- he's kind of kept this separation between them because he can't- he couldn't let himself fully have that relationship. And the- you know, she's the one with the eclairs and they kind of symbolize that. And it's just that- him taking that one bite as Mei- like, holds the eclair out for him and, and swats everyone else away as they try to grab one. Like, it symbolizes so many bigger things about how much he has wanted these friendships and these relationships, and now he can allow himself to have them. And it's just, I love to see it for him. Yeah. I love this boy. Yeah, he's just, he's a good dude. He has had, honestly, the roughest go in this show. And I, like... It's not that I've enjoyed it, because it's it's actually quite emotionally harrowing, but it like I'm glad they put it on, and I, I'm glad they're talking about this, and, and just sort of helping, putting the idea out there that you're more than what the people around you tell you to be. It's just, it's beautiful. Cultivate your soul, dear listener. Your soul is beautiful and unique, and it's yours. It is your birthright. Don't don't let anyone tell you it's stupid, unless it involves like hurting people, in which case you know, stop. Find find a better outlet. Anyway, um, I'm just that's me just getting into the spirit of things. Uh, so no, please continue. I also really love that the moment we see that Rintro has shed these chains and freed himself from his personal demons, we crossfade to his personal demon Zuo seething over the fact that Rintro continues to exist. <laughs> Especially now, because, like, he doesn't have, uh, Legiel to kind of, like, take his frustrations out on. And it's- Zuos is smarter than he looks. He remembered that Mei was a big factor the last time Rintaro kicked his butt. He- he knows this girl is around all the time, especially when Rintaro is- is doing his best. If he can get to her, he can get to Rintaro. Which, like, look, that is a garbage way to go. Because, I mean, I feel like it's it's pretty legit to say that we here at the Toll Network do not approve of ladies being menaced to mess with some dude. No. But also, if you're going to be a real garbage villain like the McGee just seem really dedicated to being, I, I guess you might as well lean in. Also, it implies to me that Zeus might not be long for the show because that sort of thing is very much, hey... We need to make sure that everyone wants this dude dead as soon as possible. 
because yeah seeing seeing may cry is a really great way to make everyone want him to not be around anymore yep because like that's that's a real that's a real bummer man like she doesn't deserve that I really like the conflict building with Rintaro now that he is back and he feels that, you know, he's been away from the Northern base group for so long and it's caused him to fall behind. Toma's gained all kinds of new powers that Rintaro didn't even know was possible. And he's been training with these swords his whole life. And I just, I really adore how much Rintaro loves and admires Toma, but is also always striving to match him. Like, Toma is Rintro's most beloved friend, but he's also got a bit of a rivalry going with him. And it's honestly just one of the cutest little friendly rivalries I've ever seen. And I appreciate that Rintro is never jealous. He's never jealous of Toma. He's never, why is it him and not me? He never wants to see Toma fail. He just wants to be like, okay, well, if he can do that, why can't I? I want us both to do it. I want us both to be cool and powerful. He wants himself to succeed on the same level as Toma, and you know that if he expressed that to Toma, Toma would be 100% in support of it and do everything he could to help. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because, again, he, Toma wants to help. Toma doesn't have any reason not to. He's not doing this for his ego. He's just trying to help. And yeah, Rintaro is also not... I mean, it's a little bit for his ego, but only insofar as, yeah, you want to be good at the thing you dedicate your life to. Otherwise, why are you dedicating your life to it, you know? Because yeah. it, it's not about being mad that someone else is doing well. It's about wanting to do the thing as well yourself. Like, that's... I don't know, that's a really lovely thing. Because I, I... I personally think that a little little artistic or you know whatever your craft is uh, ambition is good and when you see someone who does something that's in the place of oh I could have done that but I never have and then you get mad and then your ambition grows because you're like now I know that thing is possible now I will make my own thing and like that's I don't know I think I think it's fun the way creativity can inspire other creativity when you're not so caught up on being the best, and instead caught up on being yeah. the best you can do. Uh, so May's cat monster form is pretty cool looking. Um, I always love when we can get a, a woman monster who isn't hyper sexy and has like the weird huge monster boobs. And trust me, I love huge weird monster boobs. I know what I'm into. <laughs> um, but it's so rare that we see anything else that when we get lady monsters, especially ones who aren't core villains and are monsters of the week, when they have these kind of very non-feminine designs but are very clearly still feminine, like, that's really cool. And honestly, like, I just appreciate that it's a monster form that feels like, for all it comes from this book, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure which book it is, but... Uh, the, the book itself is... is Komodo no Neko, which is just cat's toy. Um, so I'm not sure if it's like an actual story, because I didn't go and research it, because I feel like that is way too general of a thing to be able to research easily. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if it's like a folktale or just like a catalog. Well, I mean, that would kind of explain turning people into decorations, kind of. 
anyway, but it's just, I just like that on top of, of everything else, uh, the design is, is respecting who Mei is and what her deal is instead of trying to make her into this weird, horny thing. And honestly, that's rare enough that it definitely warrants recognition and congratulations. Good job, everyone. You didn't mess it up. Yeah, because, I mean, like, she's still a very feminine monster. She she does, oh, like, yeah. the, the nyas, and she's, like, very sad. Like, she's obviously got a, a woman voice actor, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, give her the weird monster boobs. Yeah. I don't know. Or, I don't know why the... that's the part I fixate on, but it's, well, like, it just reminds me of in Ghost, when we had the, the swordswoman, uh, Ganma. Man, and I how she her. was like non sexualized. Yeah. Man, she was and a she good design ruled. too. Man, Sword Gunma. I haven't thought about her in an age, and now she's gonna be all I can think about for the rest of the evening. Ah, uh, see she lives rent free in my brain forever because she has Shroud's voice actress. Ah, uh, well that'll that'll certainly do it. Um I, I also really love the way that Rentro just goes totally nuts after he finds out it's May and then Zuos and the, the cat Maggie'd run off. Like, it kills me to see him suffering like this, but it's this absolutely perfect moment of, this poor guy just got home. <laughs> he just came back to this person that he clearly loves so much, and he can't have one second of stuff being okay and getting to just spend some time with her before it's ripped out of his hands. And he goes into a full-blown panic because he knows the thing that needs to be done to save her is something he is not physically capable of. He has to rely on Toma and Yuri to do the actual thing, but Yuri's gone and Toma doesn't seem to be panicking enough, and he just has to get Mei back. Like, Yamaguchi Takaya, who plays Rintaro, can really harness some raw emotions in his performance and his face. And I really hope that this kid has a big career ahead of him after Saber, because he has so much potential. Yeah, he really does. He, he, because, I mean, the thing is, Rintro would be very easy to make an incredibly frustrating character. Because, you know, he's basically the Cyclops, uh, to use X-Men parlance, or, or Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. Like, he is the, the, you know, straight and narrow guy. It's really easy to make those guys really boring and just suck really hard. And like, yeah, sure, the writing is is doing a lot of work, but that dude's uh, Yamaguchi Takaya is just bringing it. And if the experience of working with Toei doesn't put him off the entire field of acting, as it seems to have done for a fair few actors before him, I, I imagine he'll be in demand before too long. Because this is like he's bringing some noise. Yeah. And I love that as much as Rintro can't contain those emotions, neither can Zuos. If he's not out there actively making Rintro's life hell, he's going to seethe over the fact that Rintro's not dead yet. And Storius, so much as looking in his direction, is enough to send him over the edge. And I love that Storius knows what he's doing. He is very deliberately needling Zuos, and he stays behind him the whole time, where we can see, but Zuos can't see him smirking, 
and like making it very visually clear that he's intentionally egging this on for his own ends. I mean, honestly, Storius is just the worst of the Magid, and I love that about him. But you know, also of course he would be, because he's the power of story gone malignant. And yeah, what's he what's he doing with it? Yeah, of course he's gonna mess with a gr- grumpy beast monster man. And if nothing else, like, he does seem to be fixing to make a cool ending for someone. And I gotta give that to him, because, like, when Storius gets got, boy, he's gonna deserve it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, I really hope that since we're, we're, we've kind of let everyone know what uh, Master Logos' plan is, this, you know, kind of this early, that we, that Storius just pulls out a twist. Because, you know, a story... A guy who has the power of story would probably be good at, like, oh, okay, now it's time for a twist. Why? Because one has to happen here. Not to mention, like, it's... I just I want to see the look on uh, Master Logos' face when he realizes he got played. I just think that'd oh, be funny. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's like they gave the power of narrative to a Starscream that knows just how to be subtle enough. Yep. And, you know, that's, um, good. Good. I I want to see him do a star scream. I think that'd be great. I want to see him declare himself leader of the Decepticons. I just, that'd be... Honestly, the thing is, you love seeing a star scream lose. Because star screams are just really awful. <laughs> At least the main villain is upfront about their deal. A star scream, they're scheming, they're cowardly, they're backstabbing, but every now and again, you just want to see one win. So I like the conflict they're setting up for Ren. Um, so many people have put so many ideas in his head, both good and bad, that he can't sort them out anymore. He can't sort the good from the bad, because they all came from too close the same source. Like, Sophia told him one thing, and Reika told him another, and Ogami told him another, and Disas told him an entirely separate thing, and he's confused. He's a kid. He's the youngest swordsman. He's, he was probably given Hayate long before he was truly ready, and he just wants space to figure out who he is for himself without people screaming in his ears. I just wish that they'd spend more time on it than bringing it up as a 30-second C or D plot every four to five episodes. Yeah, which, honestly, that's the biggest problem with it. Kid can't ever really come into his own because his screen time is given to everyone else. And while, like, look, I think that is the right call because he's still not all that interesting, it does undercut the drama when we get to his scenes. Like, I don't know what the fix is there, but uh, they I wish they I would mean, fix the f- it. The fix is to give him his screen time, because the reason that he's not interesting is that he hasn't had that time. Yeah, true, yeah. And if you gotta sacrifice, I don't know, something, alright, do it. Yeah, I don't know, get rid of Durandal. Yeah, that'd be great, actually. I I really... I feel like that moment of Rintero finding May on the rooftop and both of them kind of latching onto each other shouldn't work, 
but it does. Like, I love that they let May and Rintero be scared together, and for to have both of them say that they're not okay, and, like, have May ask for help, and have Rintero be like, of course you're not okay, of course you're scared. The, anyone would be scared if this was happening to them. Like, they're both scared, and they're both processing a lot, and I love that they just get this little moment to be scared people together. Yeah, because, you know, there's nothing wrong with being scared. It's a... Honestly, it's not just a perfectly human reaction. It's a very good reaction, actually. Fear is a, is a very smart thing to feel in a lot of situations, and... Honestly, there's there's enough really awful stuff out in the sort of the cultural aether that tries to convince you not to be scared when you should be. Like, eh. anyway, um, outside of the the wider stuff, I just in it, in the show specifically, I do really like just seeing uh, May and Rintro get to bond over stuff, even when it's horrible stuff like this, like like having to be scared together, um, like they're the first head row OTP in a very long time, and who knew I could ever support a head pairing, you know? And even they're though, just like, they're, so sweet together. They're just two-thirds of, of a triad, is the thing. Yeah. But still. But they're they're just so sweet together. And I, I do really love Kento, like, watching the fight and Doom saying from a distance... And Sophia just walking in out of nowhere like, Kid, that's dumb. You like Toma, go help him. Seriously, like, oh, a part of me hopes that her and Sora have taught one another a lot about being genre savvy. Just, like, between the two of them, they're just, they could solve this whole thing in, like, 20 minutes. And they're, and that's why Logos is like, alright, capture her. Oh, should we kill the kid? Eh, don't worry about the kid. He's just a kid. By the time anyone asks him anything, it'll be too late. But if we have the kid talk to Sophia, we're dead. I don't know, I just, I really like just attributing that sort of, of understanding to him, because I, I like finding reasons to say that the, the kid and one of the ladies are super important in this show. Because they are. It's just, you'd think after two or three times of Kento saying, the future can't be changed and then it changes, he'd start to catch on. But I guess it just shows how loud Kuriyami is screaming in his ear and being like, okay, well, that changed, but just because that changed, it can go badly this way now. And seeing how deeply that's affecting Kento gives us a clue as to how loud and horrible it was screaming in his father's ear and in Kamijo's ear. And it's a different poison than the one Logos was feeding everyone, but it's a poison nonetheless. Yeah, it, it really is. And this is the, the power of those kinds of voices in your head, and probably why uh, Lin Chi famously had the, the quote, If you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Like, that's why that quote stuck around, because people will just lodge themselves rent-free in your head and just pour poison in your ear and, like, this kid's got all these things messing with his perspective and, and taking him from his true path and I hope he gets to strike all those things down very soon, because, like, 
yeah, look, if on the road you meet your father, Kento, kill him, because he's already dead. Like, take take what you need, but if he's if he's keeping you from, you know, love and understanding, eh, you need to get rid of him. He's not he's not healthy. Um, I really appreciate the cat that the cat Megid seems to know what will hurt both May and Rintaro most, and that's taking May's feelings and just outright one eighty lying about them. Because it's the easiest way to demoralize Rintaro at the moment. And it's gotta be doing the same to May. Because she's gotta be in there screaming about how much this monster is lying. And that has to be exhausting for her soul. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Because she's got a heart as big, honestly, probably bigger than anyone else in the show. So you know she's fighting. And no matter how tired she is, she's not gonna let this awful kitty cat hoarder win, but... Still, that kind of fight is is the sort of thing that wrecks you. And it's real hard not to feel awful, awful for her, because we've seen how much it hurts when you've got a Megid smothering your soul, and I, I hope our heroes can pull her out quick fast, because, like, I don't want them to kill May. I think that would suck. But I, I feel like that's, that's about it for our uh, main coverage of the episode, unless you have any other final thoughts on it. Uh, no, just... No? That's that's what it is. Yep. Um, so that brings us to our new suit ran- roundup for Common Rider Durandal. Um, I honestly think it's one of the cooler looking suits in the show. Like, he's got kind of a dark aqua vibe going on, and I'm into that. I, I like the blue details evoking a radar with the, the radar sound effects in the henshin. And I kind of love his big dumb trident. Though, like, even as I also love it, it is super dumb and just has me wanting to, um, actually, the folks making the show. Because, hey, trident isn't a sword, but at this point you just kind of got to go with the flow because I'm sure they ran out of synonyms for sword by this point. (laughs) Like, I, I, yeah. But still, like, I'm an easy mark for that color scheme. Even if a part of me wants to jettison the gold bits and just keep the black, white, and blue. But I think that's mostly because I don't like where they put the gold. I would have, like, sprinkled it a little differently. Mm. But, you know, that's that's a personal thing. Still a nice suit. Yeah, I, I like the way the helmet evokes the trident instead of a sword on paper. Yeah. In practice, it's a little weird, because it's this kind of vertical Ryuki thing. Like, it's not even Decayed, where it's ki- it feels like it's over the eyes. Or even Ryuki, where it feels like it's over the eyes. It feels like six separate eyepieces. <laughs> instead of one eyepiece that's partially covered. Um... And I also think the shark fin in the middle isn't helping, but I'm not sure it would look better without it, so... I I don't know. At least with the shark fin and the color scheme, like, I can say, for my own part, it's it's like a callback to Oz's Shota. Which, you know, like, it makes me think of Oz, and I really like Oz suits. And, and the fin does feel for me like one of the times where I've kind of liked the point sticking out of the top of the head, so even if the rest of the helmet kind of lets me down with the, the crossed tridents, uh, at, at, I kind of like the shark fin, because that, that really highlights his, his uh, 
ocean theme. It's like, especially since it would be terrible if he just had... Actually, no, I tell a lie. I was about to say it would look awful if he had the trident sticking out of his head, but if they had it, like, like sticking out of the top of his head like a crown, that would actually would have looked sick. But they probably would have... Actually, I kind of like... I kind of like if it was sticking out of his head and going back like a mohawk. I Like, I go back and forth. I'd have to see it, but honestly, I think the mohawk would be pretty good, too. So, crown or mohawk, I think they could make that work. But, as it is, you know, since they didn't want to, to do a crown or a mohawk or anything that would be a meaningful change from their established read, not very good design thing of everyone should have a, a sword sticking out of their head except for Sabella. Well, I, I, it was the best version of that they could do. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, cause like the mohawk or even the crown would be kind of in the same vein of the way that the, the other swordsman has it. He has it as the eye plate. Yeah, I don't, I guess. Like it's, it's not in the same design scheme. No, that's true. It's not. Because, yeah, he just has a different element just... as his as sticking out of the top of his head. That is weird. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's And like... I'm not sure... I like it in theory, but I don't think I like it in practice. Mm. Um, I also think that the fact that he is so heavily ocean and radar themed takes away from the fact that he's got time powers. Because I guess the radar stuff can also look like a watch face. But with how heavy the ocean theming is everywhere else, I just don't read clock from it. Yeah, like, giving him time powers feels really random. Like, you, you really gotta squint and tilt your head to wrap your yourself around it. Like, maybe if they brought up more stuff about, like, I don't know, uh, sharks have been constant throughout millions of years. Like, they haven't needed to evolve because when sharks happened once once they hit shark they're like oh no this, for the niche we're doing this is all we need and but even that would be a real stretch you know <laughs> i don't i don't know how they could do the weird time edit thing into that it's so so weird that said like i do like the uh again i like that color scheme so gotta give it that yeah um i also you brought this up but i do like that the same as reika ryoga has another textbook style book and it's it's another thing of the southern based swordsman having these logic heavy books that are all dry facts with no rooms for varying interpretation on what it means yeah because they all have this very dry fact of master logos's will and they they don't try to interpret what logos as an organization is about they just take the fact that he gives them as the truth mm -hmm. and not doing the the simple but very important thing for everyone to do which is when two statements are made in sequence someone is telling you something about what they believe and you have to like make them make them answer it or parse it for yourself whichever but still like someone says uh i don't know uh bologna sandwiches are evil period two plus two is four period 
you put those two statements that are innocuous on their own together, and it sounds like you mean something. And I don't know what that would be, because bologna sandwiches are, are objectively good. But, um, anyway, just, yeah, I, I, again, I may not love every, every suit on this show, in fact, I don't love most of them, but I at least like the lore they're doing with the show, so, and I gotta give it that. Yeah. I just wish they'd get me a suit that, that, like, sang to me the way that, um, oh, what was the, the one in X-Aid? That where where he split into two, and we just a few weeks later were just like, oh, it's it's him and and uh, Pallid. Oh, it was so obvious. Yeah, um. But yeah, the 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 double X suit, maybe I think. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a good mighty, mighty act. It was another mighty action. Yeah. I am not remembering. I I want to say double action, and then I'm like, no, wait, that's Deno. Deno is double action. Yeah. Uh, I forget I forget the name of it. I mean, yeah, it's it's not that important. It's just man, I really I really liked that. It was it was like, but I, I wish this show had a, a suit where I could just get past where it is still the main aesthetic and yet it, it finally sings for me. Cause that was the one in X Aid where it's like, okay, fine guys, you got me. But, like, the one in Saber that's really worked for me is the Dragonic Knight, and, like, Dragonic Knight works mostly because it is the one that looks the least like one of the other suits, you know? <laughs> I I like all of Rintaro's suits a lot. I I have liked his form progression Well, he's got so far. the best ones. I just... Yeah. Anyway, it's just, you know, just a lot of, a lot of fiddly thoughts, but that's okay. Um, but I think that's it for this episode. Uh, do we have any any other final thoughts before we close up? Uh, no, it just feels like Saber is finally picking up the pace. Yeah, it's about time. Uh, you know, I say that. It's, it's, I've, we, we've kind of been saying the same thing for a while, so. Anyway, it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying myself, and I'm looking forward to the next ones. Um, so then, for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast RX and the rest of the TOR Network... I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die. <laughs> <laughs>